Hello and welcome. This is IdeaGen TV. Today I am proud to introduce two of our guests for a great power chat coming up. We have Miro Halesi, Global CTO of Transportation and Tolling at IBM, and Donovan Guing, U.S. Director Tolling and Congestion Charging, IBM. Welcome, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And so this is Mira Holaitzi, and I am transportation CTO in our government industry. And uh, last two decades, I have been implementing the mobility solution addressing critical environmental and societal challenges across of Asia, Europe, and North America. I live in Sweden, in city of Stockholm, which is the first city to receive the European Green Capital Award. And I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Don Juan Guin. Hi, everyone. Yep, this is Donovan. I'm uh, IBM's US lead for tolling and congestion charging. I spent most of my career helping my clients go digital to help them grow. But over the last two years, I've focused almost all of my time helping clients in the public sector grapple with the impact of that growth, and in particular, the challenges of traffic. I live in the Boston area, home to one of the world's oldest transit systems, but also one of the world's worst traffic problems. Yeah, thank you, Donovan. I had a privilege to work with Donovan side by side last five years. And I think first time we met in Toronto and we managed to come late to our appointment. And the traffic congestion really contributed to that. And that's what is what, what is what we would like to talk about today. Traffic congestion in our cities and approach to address it. As the world is becoming increasingly urbanized, this is a very relevant topic. More than half of population is been living in the cities globally. And in Europe, that figure is no less than 75%. That creates many challenges for our cities around the globe, with the traffic congestion being actually one of the top issues on top of their list. Yeah, that's right, Miro. Prior to the pandemic, traffic around the world had reached record levels. Thanks to a very long period of economic growth, cities, particularly in the United States, have been growing for the first time in decades. Job growth in cities drove increases in traffic, but not just in cities, but in the increasingly urbanized ring of the suburbs around these cities. But even as more people moved there, housing prices were driven up, forcing many people to move further out away from the traditional urban core. This put them farther from access to mass transit, which, like my home in Boston, had been designed a long time ago when the population had very different needs. With few viable options for commuting by mass transit, more and more people got on the roads, clogging up the highways in and out of the city. What used to be a rush hour became more like a slow grind over two to three hours each way, twice a, uh, twice a day. Uh, now, everyone hates traffic, but typically they only see it from their own personal perspective. The unfortunate reality is that traffic has a large negative impact on our communities while dragging down the economic viability for entire regions and our world. As New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said, if we can no longer move, we can no longer grow. And if New York can no longer grow, what does that mean for the United States? If it drags down the economic growth of the United States, what does that mean for our world economy? And let's take a look at carbon emissions. While cities only account for about 2% of the world's landmass, they account for 70% of the world's carbon emissions. In one city, Portland, Oregon, more than 40% of those carbon emissions come from transportation alone. Now consider that 90% of the world's urban areas lie along the coast, and you can see how that carbon is not only getting into the air, but into the ocean as well. If we can't slow down the growth of carbon emissions in cities, we won't be able to make significant progress about our climate. So when you look at it from that perspective, 
Traffic is a perfect place to focus our energies if we want the world to become a better place to live. Miro, you live in Stockholm, which ranks high in the quality of life. I believe congestion uh, charging program has played an important role in that. Yeah, that's right. You know, and the, the congestion pricing in Stockholm is part of the broader mobility strategy, which feeds into the sustainable vision for the entire Stockholm region. Stockholm mobility strategy promotes the walkability and bikeability as the ultimate goal. And congestion charging, which has been in the operation last 14 years, is playing an active role in accomplishing that goal. Personally, what I love about the Stockholm is biking. Bikes are the main mean of transportation for our family. My kids went to the school this morning on bikes. We cover most of our family activities by bikes. And we bike in healthy environment because congestion charging system is decreasing the emissions and noise levels. And less traffic also means some safer environment for biker, bikers. Plus, Stockholm is actively expanding the network of bicycle path, quite often taking needed space from the road and parking. And all this contribute to much more livable and sustainable environment. That's great. I, I wish I could do that. Based on your experience, Miro, what is your recommendation for other cities? You know, Donovan, I think there is there are a number of important aspects which are all connected. The first, the congestion pricing requires a strong drive, dedication, and passion from the local authorities to get and complete the congestion pricing journey. And that needs to be supported by legislation and policies, which, which all takes time to develop. This will create a foundation for congestion pricing. The second point is to not make congestion pricing about technology, make it about the outcome. I have seen many congestion charging initiatives around the world, which, which were kind of tangled in the technology conversation and eventually the idea of congestion pricing never lift off. Also, there is a strong need to be transparent, how the collecting money will be used, how, how, where the money will go. And there is also element of fairness, which plays an important role. All this point needs to be well connected in the communication towards citizens. Citizens need to get them on board of this journey very early. This is probably the most important aspect to be successful with congestion pricing or congestion charging implementation. But um, don't know, we, we have quite lots of experience when it comes to congestion pricing in, um, in Europe, Stockholm and London being some good examples. What is your view on congestion pricing in North America? Well, it's a good question. Several cities in North America have been looking at congestion pricing for years prior to the pandemic. Uh, and, and over the last year, we saw an increase in activity. So New York legislatures approved it, and other cities like Los Angeles had approved studies, while others were taking steps to go down that road. In New York's case, the overarching driver was revenue, but not just for the sake of revenue. The revenue was needed to support investments in the city's aging transit system while reducing traffic on city streets. In turn, a reduction in city traffic would allow people to get around more easily, whether walking or taking a bus and it would contribute to some drivers switching their travel patterns to increase ridership on public transportation, further improving the fiscal position of the MTA. For that to happen, people needed to see improvements in how it performed, and that goes right back to the revenue from congestion pricing, feeding investments in public transportation. 
Uh, it's a similar story for other cities, although the strategy shifts a bit depending on their specific situation. Uh, some cities like New York already have a high rate of enrollment in an existing tolling program, Easy Pass. So it won't take as much time uh, and resources to get people to adopt the program. But other cities aren't so fortunate. Uh, so they have to launch a new tolling program. And at the same time, they roll out new roadside equipment. It's a lot of complexity to pull off. It may not sound like a big impact, but the less people that sign up for the program, the more you'll have to chase them to make payments. That means a greater degree of revenue leakage and a longer time uh, on average to collect the payment because you'll be mailing more bills instead of automatically charging a customer's account. And of course, if you have a city that borders another state, such as Portland, Oregon, or Washington, DC, you're gonna have a higher percentage of traffic coming from out of the state or out of your city. That's gonna require an enforcement program involving those other states. By enforcement program, I mean something very specific. You know, if you don't pay your bill, you can't re-register your car. But if your car is registered in Virginia, for example, and Virginia doesn't agree to such a program for Washington, DC, why would I worry about paying the bill? To solve this problem, a bordering state may need an incentive, and that could mean sharing revenue with them. These are actually very interesting examples, some which are probably not so obvious when coming up with these strategies. What are some other challenges that city made to address when kind of taking this um, program on board? Yeah, you know, over the past year, it's become painfully clear how uneven the recovery has been in these cities, right? By that, I mean, while some people in the community were gaining great benefits from this growth and this renaissance, many others were left behind. More often than not, these were populations of color and minorities who have faced generations of structural inequities and have been concentrated over the years into communities that have less access to things like education or have a harder time getting access to basic necessities like food and have fewer transportation options. Imagine you live in a diverse community like Dorchester in Boston, where I'm from. The city's largest and most populous neighborhood, it's bordered by a major highway called the Southeast Expressway. This highway separates the neighborhood from the harbor, but there are few on-ramps to the highway for the neighborhood. And as an urban community, fewer residents own cars anyway. So it's not offering much benefit to them. The highway also runs roughly parallel to the subway, the subway line, which connects the suburb to the south uh, with, uh, with the downtown area. So people who live in that city can get to work. There are a few stops available to residents of the neighborhood, but these can be hard to reach given the physical size of the community. As a result, many residents rely on buses to get to and from work, but these buses can take forever to come due to traffic on city streets. This traffic comes from highway drivers trying to find other routes and ride-sharing vehicles of people passing through. Not only does it take longer for you to get to and from your job, but now there are a lot more carbon emissions in and around your homes. You've got it coming from the back of the house from traffic idling on the highway all day. And now you've got it coming at you from the front of the house as well. Your home was likely built before the advent of the automobile. So if you needed fresh air then, you would just open a window. But if you did that today, that would increase the pollution in your home. So it's no wonder your family's health has also suffered due to traffic. So that's a lot about how traffic relates to social equity and environmental justice. And you could see how congestion pricing could lower traffic, which should benefit these communities. But what if that's not your community? What if you live in a nice suburb and drive into the city every day for your job? From that person's point of view, your commute could get a lot more expensive. 
As I read recently at a hearing in Portland, Oregon about congestion pricing, one such participant asked aloud, why don't we just add more lanes? Not only are they not seeing the benefit of a congestion charging program, but they literally want to just increase the capacity on the roads. Well, when we did that in Boston with the big dig, as we called it, we added capacity, but more than a decade later, our traffic's worse than ever. Bottom line, if you're going to get your plan approved, you're going to have to show benefits for people in these types of communities on both sides. For New York, it meant sharing some of the revenue with suburban communities to invest in commuter trains, improving service, and creating more options. That balance uh, of that investment would then go to investments in mass transit infrastructure in the city. This creates a win-win scenario where the plan was able to get approved and enough support to pass. So anyway, that's a perspective about policy and program design. Miro, what about technology? Uh, you had mentioned that earlier. Anything new that cities need to consider? Yeah, thank you for that question, Donovan. And, um, you know, in the transportation system, which we have been implementing, like Stockholm congestion charging, we always try to push the envelope. We have been pushing technologies to its limit to deliver new kind of mobility services. But with recent enhancements in technologies, Internet of Things, edge computing, machine learning, blockchain, I can see that maturity of technology reached a level where technology is not battling anymore. Only our imagination is our limit. But challenges are still there. And primary, these, these challenges are organizational, political, and also commercial. If our society uh, will manage to overcome these challenges, then we can put digital technology in full use to enable a new model of environment governance that private sector and governments works in collaboration as the partner. And this collaboration will lead to an ecosystem of platform providing new mobility solutions. Solutions which are activated by intelligent workflow. These intelligent work workflows help us to integrate multiple transportation services which presents an opportunity to look on daily commuting holistically, making efficiency improvements, at the same time aligning them with environment objectives. These solutions are made possible by exponential technologies, which are already reshaping city operations today, Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, 5G. They are fueled by the data, data which can be infused into business processes and decision-making with the aim to drive improved environment outcomes. Solutions which are based on next generation of application and they are open and securely deployed on multi-cloud environment. And solutions which will be implemented by power of culture and agile innovation. Congestion pricing is just one application, one use case, but we want to combine multiple other mobility solutions together. We want to analyze all data from these solutions and provide insight with the aim to change societal behavior of citizens and businesses. And this would ultimately lead to emergence of sustainability cities in the future. And when I'm talking about the future, um, which and technology, which paved the way towards that future, I would like to ask Donovan, Donovan, how do you, how do you see the cities in US, in US moving forward? Has the pandemic affecting their plans in any way? Yes, actually, yeah, the, uh, it's a good question. The pandemic um, may have actually created a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape the urban landscape with transportation as a key part of that strategy. So during the pandemic of COVID-19, 
cities around the world have seen sharp drops in traffic, right? There are several factors, some of them economic, some due to business closures and others from work from home orders, et cetera. But other measures have been put in place, such as blocking off city streets to enable more people to walk around the city, to keep at a safe distance from each other. What had been side streets have now become plazas between buildings. The effect is extensive. New York City alone has blocked more than 50 miles of streets, and there's a discussion about doubling that. Cities are even talking about making these changes permanent, and it's likely they would receive support from the public as long as they see the benefits. From that perspective, I am seeing a greater level of community activism in the U.S. for making cities more livable and more equitable. Transportation is a key element in that effort. For example, back to Boston, where I'm from, there's been a plan for some time to redesign the major highway running from the west into the city. This highway, the Massachusetts Turnpike, or Mass Pike as we call it here, currently has a large curve in it once it hits the city and it curls along the Charles River so it can go around the train yards that have sat there for years on the edge of the Alston neighborhood in the city. Now the train yards have been shifted west of the city, creating a large open parcel of land where it once stood. But the state has been planning to straighten out the highway right through this parcel to remove the curve. Sounds great for drivers. Uh, and, and it would open up more park space uh, potentially along the river between the highway and the water. But on the other hand, the highway would become that much closer to the streets where people live in this diverse, more working class section of the city. Neighborhood activists are saying, hey, why don't we get a say in this? Why not use that new parcel to make the neighborhood larger, offer more housing? And while we're at it, can we come up with a different plan that reconnects our neighborhood to the river? It's a very complicated issue, but essentially they're asking for a more equitable plan. There is a need to reduce overall traffic and congestion pricing could play a role in that if the city adopted it. But without a comprehensive plan, reducing capacity of the highway or doing a major rerouting of the highway around another part of the city probably wouldn't be feasible and it could just put more cars in city streets. Another idea could be having the highway flow under the city as it does in the wealthier Back Bay neighborhood just further down the highway. In that situation, the neighborhood actually is built over the highway's air rights without a need to lower the grade of the highway. How this gets addressed may give us a view of how these policies may get shaped in the future and how it may even shape the political landscape. You know, in Boston, there's already a challenge in the race for mayor, led by a member of the city council who herself grew up in an immigrant family and who has built her base advocating for more equity among the city's communities. Transportation is a major element of her campaign. It remains to be seen whether it will be enough to get her reelected, but it's a sign of the growing awareness among the city's residents and of the importance of transportation in creating a more equitable, sustainable future for their families and the generations to come. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, Donovan. And, and that's exactly what UN Sustainable Goal alone is about. And I think you would agree with me that we all have obligation to focus on how technology and innovation can get us closer to that goal. But we also need to do it by fostering co-creation across of the city ecosystem, breaking barriers, connecting that ecosystem, and by unlocking the flow of information and use that information to change societal and business behavior. And for me, it is also about the data. More data means more insight, and that leads to more progress in making our city sustainable. We are emerging for the pandemic, which it's shaken the foundation of our cities as, as we know it. And, but as you said, we have a unique opportunity to think and act differently and make right decisions to our sustainable future. 
Donovan, thank you very much for joining me today, for your insight, and as always, it was a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you.